0: So I started reading this. This is Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. And (laughs) the ethics of Elfinland.
1: Yeah. So this is a life-changing chapter.
0: So some of this stuff I've heard, I've heard people talk about or use or engage in one way or another. And I never read the whole chapter. And this is really hard to believe that you can someone can get the whole gist of this without going through all of it. I think that the setup, the way he, I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. even, I'm, I'm a, I'm a page and a half from being done. So I don't even know. And I know Chesterton, the thing I know about Chesterton is like you read him to the end because yeah. that's where he's going to have the paradox. It's, it's always leading someplace. Yeah. I sw- switch on you where you'd be like, Oh, um, and I'm not quite there yet. And part of me wants to stop and go and finish. reading. I'm like a page and a half from being done and i'm i've been reading really fast through stuff but chesterton i took my slow time yeah and read him you know just all the way my mind went there with him i let him take it, me
1: whatever yeah it's it's like a, it's like a, a slow cooked you know it's like smoked meat where you can't you don't just throw it down you know on the run
0: this is a 12 hour smoke <laughs> Right. This yeah. is this is brisket smoked right. for twelve hours. Yeah.
1: You stop between each bite and you just enjoy how good
0: each bite is. Um I so there's a couple there's a there's a couple things i wanna okay. So today we're gonna talk about prayer. That's 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 our yeah. conversation today. Um but I have to ask before we get there, have you been paying attention to the Steven Crowder? Not
1: I mean, I actually
0: and the Daily Wire stuff, part,
1: partly because a bunch of people sent me, oh, my gosh, you got to see this. And, you know, internally in my company, we've been having a lot of conversations about it. And and um, and it's not what's great. You know, I work for a company where there's a bunch of different takes on it. And everybody's having this incredibly civilized, helpful conversation. Yeah, but what about this? Oh, but Everybody but this? Crowder
0: in the Daily Wire.
1: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. They, and, so we're having a very civilized conversation about a mud fight, you know, <laughs> about, about some monkeys throwing their poop at each other. So it's been, and it's been interesting to see. And I think, um, so my take is that where the conversation started was a great spot but the conversation keeps drifting away from that spot right so when crowder did
0: did you see him last night on i didn't um, see okay okay yeah
1: he was on uh tim cast um tim cast yeah tim pool with tim pool right i was i i plan on watching it it was long um i watched it which is good i'm think i think
0: you mean like our shows
1: yeah, well, that's what I thought, okay, you're gonna actually get. There's this is not a, there's not a. It's not a series of gotcha moments, you know, in seven minutes or something. It, it's a long conversation, which so I'm excited to see it, but I haven't got a chance to look at it. What was your takeaway
0: on it? I'm still working it through, and I've been saying this for a long time. Oh, there's a couple takeaways. One of them is the first one that immediately came to my mind. We had Darren Don on yesterday. We talked about it. One of the first things that came to my mind is we have no idea, really, uh, how much money is inside of this movement, mm-hmm. and how little we're actually putting it towards the thing that matter.
1: The thing, yeah, the the, the actual points of influence. Right,
0: What we we are so whatever your cosmology is. You're using that same cosmology when you spend money. So we all say, hey, you know, power is all gathered in one spot, a Machiavellian perspective, worldview, ideology. And so then we operate that way. and We're like, oh, we got to get away from that. But then what we do is we regather to it and say, but the Machiavellian w- power really is here. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then we put all of our influence and money there and then get upset when – it's not doing what we want it to do. Right. And so the whole Crowder thing for me in one way or another is an important conversation that we have to have about where we're going. I, here's, here, here's, here's, man, I'm sorry, Jason, this is going to really take me some time to work out, but I feel like we yeah. have to work this out in one way. Um, so just to finish that we have Machiavellian, we're just ch- changing where the power structures are. And so we say it's not in government. And then we say, well, but then it's in a social media platform that gives us a chance to speak and have power against the government. So we change the power structures and then, Hey, this isn't working for us. We don't like it. The The reality is we can't escape in the same way that we, you know, we couldn't escape uh, aristocracy. We couldn't escape um, a monarchy. We can't escape those things. All we can do is try to reposition those things so that we can have um, everybody be equal, right? Um, and so in one sense, we, instead of f- looking for righteousness inside of structures, we're looking for egalitarianism and thinking that that's righteous.
1: Yeah. Right. And so- It's it's a Machiavellian democracy.
0: Exactly. And so yeah. we, we, you know, there is nothing wrong with an aristocracy. There's always going to be an aristocracy. There's always going to be people who are, um, this is from reading, um, uh, Kurt Russell, Kirk was it Kirk? Yeah. Russell Kirk. Russell Kirk and, con, uh, the conservative mind, you know, um, and, uh, I, I'm realizing that these structures are only as good as the people that are in them. Even when we yeah. created the constitution, when we created the constitution, what was the thing that Adams walked away with? And many other men walked away with our constitution is only as good as the people that are moral who are able right. to uphold it. Right.
1: This is a and constitution so- designed for. For moral well, and religious people.
0: Yeah, and, and it will do for none other, right? Yep. And so, um, and somehow we tend to think that if we have this, is what kind of the conversation last week about ideology was. Mm-hmm. We tend to think that if we can create the right system, then therefore everything works. That's part of it, but you need, you need righteous people to live in that system for it to work. Right. And so we're going through the same struggle right now because of our institutions don't have righteous men in them yeah, and don't have holy men in them and don't have Christian men in them are failing us. Now we're trying to recreate an institution that works rather than people that work. Yeah. Okay. I
1: think, and yeah, I think what we, we have, we have looked at the problem and said, "Oh man, our our the these institutions are failing us. We must have used the wrong system." That's right. Ra- rather than said, we don't have people that we we don't have. Uh, we we are still treating people like they're cogs in a machine, mm-hmm. and that the problem mm-hmm. is a machine problem. And the, rather than saying, "Wait, how are people formed? How are?" how are people grown and educated and and said you know what this is a problem that let's let's change the way we raise kids mm-hmm. <laughs> right because <laughs> if we've <laughs> got these adults here then we got them by raising them to th- that spot as children and said let's all or right, what, what did we do we you know where did we go wrong and how do we go back and fix it well that's the people formation problem it's not a, uh, it's not a that we got the wrong bureaucracy.
0: And that's exactly right. And so governments like Australia, right? When they made bluey, that's what they were thinking. They're looking and right. saying, wait a second, we have a people problem. And so <laughs> again, part of the mistake they go through and trying to um, moralistic, therapeutic deism, right? They yep. go through and say, let's make a more moral people without the gospel. Well, you don't right. get, you don't get a more moral people. You get yeah. a more a manipulated educated people right um and you, so
1: you get I, a less educated more manipulable people actually <laughs> is what we found
0: out <laughs> oh well, you know what actually you know what that's actually- a more ignorant that's exactly right we, yeah. we're not more educated, we're not more literate, we're actually less educated so when I listen to the conversation and I've been waiting to really talk about this. And I think I finally figured it out after listening to to the TRL cast. You, you, you have to have a Disney. You have to have a Fox. Mm -hmm. You have to have a corporation, a large corporation to do this. It's, it's impossible because here's the deal. Daily wire is what? 10 to $17 a month. Cross politic is 10, 20, 50 to yearly kind yearly membership. Um, Instagram, or not Instagram, um, Netflix is what? $17, $20 a month. HBO, $10.99. Um, um, what's the other ones? Um, you know, you pick them for, for your, Hulu is $6.99, $7.99. Disney, $6.99, moving up to $10.99, $9.99. How many of those can you have? Cable, to have cable, what is that? $60, $70 a month plus your internet on top of it. If you're not careful, all of your, you're going to have a massive fatigue in the system because you're spending close to $300 a month on just visual entertainment, trying to, trying to see the shows you want to see engaged. This is a yeah. news. This is TV. These are movies, right? Like you're going to have a lot of, and people are going to, it's eventually going to say, I can't do this. And right. and what what's behind a lot of the stuff, the platforms that people are buying into is not just the platforms. When you do Daily Wire, when you do The Blaze, when you do Cross Politic, when you do Founded, when you do all these other memberships, you're you're binding yourself to their world and their worldview. And you say, I want to see this succeed. So when you have these memberships, you're creating a culture. When the memberships start to fatigue the individual, the individual has to make decisions about who they don't want to support anymore. Not so much about who they do, who they don't want to. So then you don't allow for them. Then it creates factions. Right. Yeah. Very strong factions. And so you get more of a splintering off and separation than you get a unity. And then because this is where you're pouring your money into and so, well, my group is better, you know. Blaze is way better than the Daily Wire because I put my money in the Blaze. Well, Daily Wire is much better than – and so you get all these factions. And so, and, and, and then you find yourself eating each other. It becomes a crab barrel.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. And,
0: and so you're going to have to figure out a way – If if we're thoughtful about this and we're thinking about this rightly, you're going to have to figure out a way to have some sort of serious ecumenical unity while creating this financial – Uh, while alleviating some of the financial strain that's on there because of you spending an extra $150 for all these other separate entities. And that's not good. And so what happens is this is where larger institutions have figured this out. Disney. Yeah. They've, they figured out how to split across the platforms. People who push the mission and have a form of ecumenism in the same time.
1: So Disney, they've, they bought what espn espn they yep. bought hulu they yep. bought uh national geographic
0: yep right they the discovery they are
1: mm-hmm. the no, group, discovery no right? discovery hbo bought discovery uh, disney was going to buy
0: hbo too
1: yeah no serious i didn't see that
0: they they wanted that to would, at one time they wanted that to but
1: it, that would have changed everything um this, but this has happened before, like in the history of television. You've had this conglomerate, this con- conglomeration into particular points, you know, um, and then what that always does is it makes room for niche content, niche market, niche content because of the con- conglomeration. Conglomerates can't serve niche markets. Um, I mean they could if they were willing but they're not willing right because everything has to because because of that need for that ecumenism they can't you can't have right. a uh you, you you can't have so and and netflix discovered this with cuties they, <laughs> they were like well look there are some people that like it i don't understand why everybody's freaking out and leaving right? it was because you looked at it and you were like, well, that's not a niche market we can have an ecumenical relationship with. Um, right? There, there are a lot of people that said that, that because and that's how niche markets work. It's the same if you started putting Billy Graham crusades on Netflix, other people would freak out and leave. Um, so you, there's a certain kind right. of niche market ecumenism uh, antagonism that corporations can't solve. So you need so you um, I mean this happened in the 90s with film um, and you got all of the independents in the 2000s all the independents got purchased right they all went away there aren't they're um, they got brought up into the conglomeration and then they started serving the conglomerate masses uh, and no longer the niche markets and so you don't have you didn't have the independent movies in the 2000s that you had in the 90s because of the that was the beginning of the conglomerate conglomerate conglomerative impulse um you know but you had the same thing the 70s right you had um you you had black cinema take off you had uh the things like taxi driver right serving the that uh, that existential the 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 existentially um dislocated youth uh that that you know had been Fed by the kind of Simon and Garfunkel um hippie movement, right? And then they that when that disappointed them, you got all of the 70s movies. Um and every once in a while one of them would break out, like uh Saturday Night Fever was a independent that was intended for that that audience that broke out. Rocky was an independent that was intended for that audience and broke out, right? So you've got this um really interesting. Move that happens. It happens in music as well. The independents yeah. take off, and then they get they become conglomerates. So
0: and I think commercial, that's right. Look at all pop music. Think, there was no hip hop yeah. at all. And all of a sudden, it's like all hip hop.
1: Yeah, right. So you've got so this is a this is a normal thing that's happening. What's different this time is that conservatives are a part of the conversation, and they haven't been a part of this conversation since. Um, I mean, the last time, forties or fifties, since, since Ron. Well, I think so. I think Ronald Reagan. He was a congl- He was able to pull all of the conservative niche markets together, and so they haven't been a niche market since Reagan. Well, there hasn't been conservative niche market since Reagan. So you had like William say, F. Buckley he- would have been considered niche. But he get, he was mainstreamed by Reagan.
0: So when you say pulled together, are you thinking of? Because when I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of the last fight against communists that we really had in America. I'm thinking of the MPA under under Walt Disney, and Reagan wasn't was a fruit of that. But I didn't see them build or create or bring together um, an institution that was able to the, then engage. The GOP.
1: I think the GOP was the institution that was. Formed out of a bunch of niches, a bunch of niche audiences, by the force of personality of Reagan.
0: But that only produced one seed, one seed only, and that I was. Agreed. But, and but that,
1: that's how long. But that we, we still haven't re-entered this conversation. Uh, fair enough. But that was only. Then.
0: That was Rush Limbaugh. That's all we got out of that.
1: I, creatively, yes.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> yes. No.
1: No. So you're absolutely right. But we Although didn't get an institution
0: was, out of it. We got talent. You,
1: you got you we didn't well i i do think we there was a lot of there was a push towards um you know i think a lot of the 80s movement movies grew out of that a lot of the popular 80s movies grew out of real the realization that there was this huge conservative audience right
0: i so, think that was on the tail ends of whatever was done with john wayne and reagan and I, walt disney i agree
1: no i agree yeah. it was it it was the it was it was the the death rattle of that. Yeah,
0: yeah, but it absolutely, was, it was still it was a final breath,
1: right? Yeah, it. Um, but if you and then before that, yeah, you have to go back to the '50s and the fight against communism to find a con- the the conservatives in this conversation at all. Well, this until last this last week, right? All of a sudden, you have <laughs> Steve Steven Crowder saying the same stuff Master P said before he started no right. minute records right well that's but what i think of this Same though. stuff this is- ice cube said when he when he said hey i'm out and yep. you know and you had that that break when when so you know masterpiece turning down was it a 90 million dollar contract
0: it was a uh, it was 15 first and then he had a yeah it was a 15 million dollar contract um and his cousin was mad at him for it i believe that was the first one
1: okay yeah so the, yeah the, that was the one where he walked out yeah. and everybody was like well, they just offered you 15 million dollars and you walked away and and he said "Oh, man, he, he said if they're offering us 15 I'm worth 90 yeah. yeah so um and he was right right he he nailed that and you know and and what's so crazy is now he is writing for Forbes magazine right did you did you see his article about generational wealth in Forbes magazine I did
0: magazine? see that yeah I did see crazy, that crazy
1: right so Max, yeah. master p He's he's laying out biblical principles of wealth and and multi generational wealth in Forbes magazine because he walked away from that fifteen million and said, "Uh, um, if I you know, basically he said, if I if I go there, I become a commodity, and I walk away with cash and not wealth, right?" And he said, "I can't pass cash on to my kids, right." And he, I mean, he's the one that then basically he's the reason that hip hop became for adults. You know, he grew up and there's the, those, all those rappers ended up becoming adults. This just didn't happen in rock and roll. They all stayed commodities and stayed children. You know, the, 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 uh, you go to a concert for, you know, you go to a, um, like, so here, here's a good example. If you go to a Rolling Stones concert, right. you. You go there and it's a bunch of adults that act like children for the evening again. Like, hey, remember when we were teenagers? Let's do that again for one night at a Rolling Stones concert. The, the Roots they toured uh, wineries, <laughs> right? The Roots is hip hop for adults. They went, for, they did this tour of of high end wineries, and you go and you act like adults together um, and listen to some some great musicians play hip-hop and right so you that that you've got this strange and then the nba because of that because of what master p did the nba grew up and those guys became adults you got multi-generational nba families now um, well i mean
0: you you got you got to talk about the fact that you have snoop dogg and martha stewart who are Hanging out, making recipes together, right? And you only get that because Master P is putting Snoop Dogg on Game, right?
1: Yeah, who and and who and that was, I mean, that was a turning point when Snoop Dogg came over to to uh, No Limit Records uh, and said, "Yeah, yeah. No Limit, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna become, I'm going over there because Master P is gonna teach me how to be an adult, right? That's that's what he said, right? right? (laughs) And so you end up with um, the influence of a guy like master P who sees the, the world for what it is uh, and understands the difference between cash and wealth understands that he, that his job is to pass down an inheritance to his kids, right? Understands those biblical principles um, that, and you, and it has a wide ranging impact, right? Cause I mean, you look at the difference between Alan Iverson uh, and and LeBron James, right? Both superstars, both dominant in their a in the during their careers, both make enormous amounts of money. One never stops acting like a child. One right. grows up and now, you know if if you if you go looking for videos of LeBron James now, uh, half of them, are videos of him at his kids basketball games right. right like that's and and you know him that's that's it's like a completely different you've got completely different cultures in these major institutions because of the influence of a guy like that so which um. is beautiful i mean it's beautiful and i know you know he um he's i don't know if he's always been a christian he's explicitly a Christian now. And I know that um, we tend to oh, Master P. Master P. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't know. We we tend to think that that's not the positive influence of the gospel because it's not people getting saved. But it we but we it's because we are not thinking about the way the world really works in the sense that that buildup of wealth is always being set aside for God's people, no matter where it's being built up. Mm. All, all wealth is always being set aside for God's people so that when they get faithful, it's prepped for them. Right. I mean, that's the kind of world we live in. We live in a world in which, you know, you can have a bunch of non-believers get really successful and make a whole bunch of things and not use it at all for God's glory. But it's, being put into a safe somewhere so that when God's people get faithful, they can get the combination. Right. Um, do you?
0: Um, I want to talk more about this Crowder thing, and yeah. yeah oh, um, well. So
1: I never told you my take on it.
0: No, go ahead. <laughs> I haven't finished mine, but go, I want to hear. I know, one.
1: I know. We're full. We're full. I P is a hero of mine, so you get me talking about him. You pull that cord, and I'm like, "Yeah, you know, well, well a stink you know, in my boot."
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I know, right? But here, I gotta say this before you jump. Just take me a few seconds. If this was a conversation with Master P, there would have never been Master P with the Blaze, right? Like, right. If, it, if 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 Stephen Crowder was Master P, it wouldn't be.
1: What it is, that, yeah. Connect, yeah, yeah, it would have been because massive- I, these are new convictions from Crowder, and he—I don't know if he said that anywhere. I haven't I don't heard think him that, say. I
0: don't think these are new convictions from Crowder.
1: I think Crowder, but he well, he wasn't acting on them five six years ago, if there um, if he had these convictions about art, you know, and freedom of the artist and those sorts of things.
0: Uh, I think. I think sometimes when you're in the fight you will assume that people are there with you. Um, and and so when you've turned okay. over your business okay. to an institution to do those main things, um, you won't worry about them. Yeah. But when you find that you you're just, unhappy, you
1: just assume they're happening.
0: Yeah. When you're fine, you're unhappy for a very long time. And then it comes time for contract renewals, you know, all of a sudden it's, it comes, all the stuff comes up, right? If you're playing football, you're doing your thing you're getting your numbers and you feel like you're doing your thing and you're, you, you just put your hands in in your team and all of a sudden it comes to, Hey, you know, we're not happy. You're like, Whoa, what, what aren't you happy about the, the yards I'm getting? We're, we're meeting the status quo. Yeah, we don't know. Like, wait, I thought you guys were winning. Right. Or, yeah. or you come up with during contract and you're like, Hey, just got a question. Why are we, submitting to them and not doing our own thing of pushing forward. Why haven't we taken any risk whatsoever right. to get where it looks like those guys are going? Right. And so I think Steven Crowder just, and and I think it's a buildup of being unhappy over a period of time. I think he said that. And part of what he started, those were his convictions that he's had. And he hasn't actually had to have a close relationship. I don't think because of the way he does his business with the institution,
1: right? right. He's got
0: his, own, he does all his own production, does all his own thing. I don't even think that he knew who, I mean, according to Jeremy Boring, he didn't know what his numbers for signups were from his institution, which is why he's doing the whole mud club thing. Like the mud club is to find out how many people I actually had. Right. <laughs> right? How many people were a part of the mud club. Right. Um, And, and so he, he just did his thing, put his head down, and he looked up and, like, what the heck is going on? Um, so I got to ask, man, like, when we, when we said we wanted to talk about prayer, why did you pick this book from Chesterton on, on orthodoxy and Elfinland? Why was that the place? That when, when we want to talk about the metaphysics of prayer, why was this the book that popped in your head? In that chapter. Because I ain't going to lie. I mean, I'm not to the end of it yet, but I don't... I, I, there's so many good things about what's happening, but I'm trying to figure out, like, how are you connecting this and prayer together? Because I'm like, what is prayer? What is it for? What's the metaphysics of prayer? And then you're like, yeah, Elfinland, chapter four of Orthodoxy. Read yeah, that. Yeah, chapter four like, of what?
1: Orthodoxy. That's the... that Because that is a cosmology. He's, he's presenting a reality in which prayer is... Is a fundamental assumption. It's not. It's not something. It's not an add-on, right? So we tend okay. to think. Wait,
0: wait, uh, step back for a second, because yeah, I, I don't want to assume that everybody's already read this. Because I had okay, and I'm around a lot of people who love Chesterton. I think you have to explain what in the world is Elfinland.
1: Yeah, so so he says he calls it the the chapter is called the Ethics of Elfland, Elfland, and Elfland, Sorry. and what he says is that um the the fairy tales that he um grew up with are he found to be more reasonable than modernism that the modernism that he encountered when he became an adult he 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 said it was because i had been raised on fairy tales i could see how unreasonable how irrational modernism was right so modernism um which in which everything is that that all the basically the machiavellian world in which everything is matter that happens to be in this particular order mm. um and that there the only things that are real are power energy and matter mm. right so so energy and matter are real and then power is your influence over the energy and the matter, right? And he so said that's those are the, those that's the fundamentally real things, and then everything else is a an application of or an attempted application of power. And so, you know, um, that the uh, uh, he he said that and that flips that flip is actually upside down from what reality is. So, um, the law. So he and the example that he uses throughout is that the laws of nature. So, um, if right, you remember, yeah. we talked about this book, "The Heavenly City of the Eighteenth Century Philosophers" by Carl. Beckham. Yeah,
0: I just looked at that the other night. I was like, I need to pick that back up.
1: Yeah. So this is on my list of twelve of my my twelve books for the year. Um,
0: oh, I let's pick those before we leave.
1: Talk about it. Yeah. But orthodoxy, it, he's making the exact same argument that Carl Becker makes, but he just makes it in a beautiful way. Carl right? Becker makes it in an academic way. Um, Chesterton's making it in a beautiful, poetic way. And the argument is that um, the laws of nature um, is that it, the metaphor about that is being used for the laws of nature It flips modernism flips it into flips the metaphor around from what's metaphorical and what is what's the metaphor of of, right so you've got so in an analogy you know you say that guy walks like a fish right and so it the and so if somebody said well look fish don't walk or you know how can that metaphor even work you say well no that's it's a metaphor so the you know the he the his he sways or he wiggles or whatever it is you know I, I don't know if that metaphor even works or not but, um,
0: like that's what <laughs> he think, does right
1: you, yeah yeah exactly you think okay I get it like he whatever it that um it's not literal it's a metaphor um but if you if you try to flip it around and take the take it as literal take the the metaphorical parts as literal you end Wouldn't up being
0: it be an assemb- like he walks like a fish that was assembly
1: yeah. Well, yeah. So, a simile is a particular kind of metaphor. Okay.
0: All right. All right. You always got to one up me. I get it. I
1: get. it. I'm sorry. No, but yes, you're right. It's a simile because you use like or as. So, right. um, the that you have this, uh, um, you you have modernism taking what was originally a metaphor about the laws of nature, um, that because things happen the same sort of way every time, right? Like I, if I launch uh, a a ball out of a, out of a, uh, you know, or launch a potato out of a potato gun over and over, you can expect it to react the same sort of way unless something changes, right? But under the same circumstances, a potato gun is going to function the same sort of way over and over and over. So, and then, say so that so it's a you know it's a law like the potatoes are are obeying the laws of nature but it 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 was a metaphor well in in the 18th century the philosophers start flipping the metaphor and the reality around so that uh, instead of it being um, instead of it being that I've observed this over and over, and then I make a an inductive, um, sci, you know, my science science is an inductive art, and I make an inductive uh, reason. I make use inductive reasoning to come up with what I can expect this to, to pay, potato to do. It flips around, and you start saying uh, it's a de- using deductive reasoning in in that situation, and you start saying that the law causes it to do what it does, Mm. right? So that the law of nature becomes active um, on the potato instead of our mind inducting a quote unquote law of nature as a metaphor. Um, And uh, that, that, so that begins in the, uh, in the 18th century, in the 1700s, modernism gets to the point where it becomes the assumption
0: Okay. That's fascinating. And it's fascinating because we only think like that now. Right. Like that is the only way we think now, which is why Chesterton is having an effect on me, because he's doing this paradox where he's flipping that. Yeah. And I can he's flipping only... it
1: back to to what is normal and reasonable and what was always assumed. That that's which a metaphor.
0: Is not, right, but that's not common in our world anymore, which is why I think we can't even have conversations even theological conversations, because we don't have that type of framework, that kind of cosmology to even, you know, so then give me another example. He used the one with like the apple falling. What are other ways that we act in this and don't even know that we're doing? Cause we, this is like looking at your eyeball. That's what I feel like Chesterton in some magical way does for me is he takes my eye out of my head while still remaining there if it's possible. Right. And then turns it around and looks at me. <laughs> right. And I'm able to see myself like, oh, that's me. And and right. observe myself. And and so what are other ways? Because I don't think that like that's that's mind blowing. Yeah. Because we and, only and know the you, world in the way that those see it, seventeen.
1: Exactly. Years. Once you see it, you realize it's everywhere. And you realize, um, for me, you realize, well, that's why I don't pray, because I I don't think of God as actively involved in things, right? So I'm you in a Machiavellian You, 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 don't made, you pray, just made a jump. You act.
0: You just made a jump. You just right? made a jump. I can't do it. Those are yeah. So well, so uh, so
1: the other. So let me tell you that one of the other examples he uses that I find really fascinating or really helpful. He talks about the sunrise, right? The consistency of the sunrise. So when when you're talking uh, the consistency of the sunrise one of the things that he points out is that we think um, the, the consist we quote unquote blame the consistency of the sunrise on the fact that the sun is just obeying the laws of nature, right? That the laws of nature are acting upon the sun and therefore it keeps rising and uh, again and again, he says, well, we, we observe the sunrise and we, and the older a, the the older conception, or the the true the truer conception, would be that we we use inductive reasoning to expect the sun to rise again because it always has. He says, but there's two things that you can say about that, right? You can say the physical laws of nature are causing it to, or you can say, um, what he says is that God is the reason for the consistency because god loves a good sunrise um and he says we we think that if something is alive we expect it to not act the same way over and over and over again um he says but that is that is not uh that's not a a valid um that's not a valid logical that's not valid logical reasoning says that's you're you're using inductive reasoning the wrong sort of way he said especially since in our experience it's when, it's when you get old and tired that you stop being able to rejoice in the same thing over and over and over. Little kids want to play peekaboo over and over and over. It's the parents that get tired because they're closer to death, not because they're more alive. Kids who are still imbued with young life can rejoice over and over and over again in a game of peekaboo. I mean, I remember my daughter, Abigail, when she was just a little baby, she'd be, she couldn't walk yet she'd sit up and we would play peekaboo. And every time she would laugh so hard, she would tip over. She, would, I mean, she would laugh and she would fall over backwards and you'd have to tip her back up and then you'd cover your face with the blanket again. Right. And it was me that ran out of energy, not her because I'm old and tired and closer to death. And so he says, why, do, why would we assume that the sun coming up every day is because it's not alive? Rather than because it is alive, we've got ex- we've got all sorts of experiences about living things, loving, um, doing the same thing over and over. He said, perhaps God is just younger than us because He doesn't age and move towards death. And so God, every morning, says to the sun, "Come up again," and then rejoices in the rising of the sun. And the sun, every every day says I'll come up because God is going to rejoice and that he that the sun is motivated by the rejoicing of the Lord that the joy of the Lord is the strength of the sun and so every day it keeps going around and going around and going around now you can already see that the immediate objection is our modernist astronomy that wants to tell us our experience is not reality because immediately people start saying, but the sun doesn't go around the earth. The sun doesn't come come up, up, right? The sun, the, the earth is the one traveling, right? So our imagination is it resists the reality of our experience. And it wants us to say, you can't trust your experience. The ethics of Elfland is saying is is he's Chesterton is trying to push us back into our own experience and say it's more reasonable to trust your own experience, which is so he's got this entire it, it all fits together because he's got a whole thing about um, democracy and tradition and the and you know the the experience of the of the normal person should be considered the normal uh, the normal center that by which we think and see and act and live right so um but we but we our our imagination is constantly trying to pull us away from our own experience and refuse to rejoice in our day in and day out experience refuse to be thankful for our day in and day out experience because our imagination has a different cosmology than reality right A different metaphysic than the reality that we're seeing and so he. We, we can't rejoice in the sunrise as if God has given us another gift, as if the sun has has rejoiced another day to rise um, because the joy of the Lord, uh, because the God is going to rejoice in the sunrise every day because God is here with us in the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is experiencing creation from this vantage point with us. Constantly. And rejoicing. But we don't have a view of God in which he is that present. (laughs) Because we, and we can't, and we can't, and so therefore we can't actually be present in our own lives in a way that causes rejoicing. And rejoicing is at the heart of constant prayer. Right.
0: So, we're having our own form of dysphoria
1: yes but we don't realize it because it's nor- we've normalized the dysphoria
0: and the reason i'm saying that is because everything you're saying about trusting your own experience is that's exactly what we see happening. Oh, wow, this is a pretty big thing. What we see happening with people's identity, having a hard time with their identity. And I don't mean this in just the trans way, but everybody's having a problem with Everybody. their identity. I mean, every yeah. last yeah. person on planet Earth is having a problem with their identity. And to be honest, that's been why some of these conversations that we've had have been so enjoyable is because um, we're kind of rediscovering the people who God made us to be. And so, um, you know, so if you look right now, what we're trying to tell the people who are having identity problems with their sexuality is like, this isn't who God made you to be. And, and we're ultimately telling them not to trust their experiences. Right. Because they, because the way that they tell is like they're experiencing a different kind of experience they're feeling that there's something or someone else in one way or another right um and so we're telling them not to do that and but there's another part of it where
1: but but it's because they they're actually they're not experiencing their own life if that makes sense right they're not like uh, if i say i'm a woman in a man's body i'm saying all of this bodily experience can't be trusted right because they right. are experience. Uh, you, i am experiencing what it is to be a man
0: right but modern, body, modernity right? But they're
1: saying but, oh we, we're separating our experience from our bodily life to that extent
0: that's that gnosticism but the, the same that's that the same the same modernity is acting on us in the same way right yeah t- we, we us... are
1: escaping that problem right we're just
0: telling us not we, we to trust just have that.
1: breaks, <laughs> yeah, because the, the Holy Spirit just gives us breaks. We're on the same hill, we're rolling down the same hill, but we're pumping the brakes, or the Spirit is pumping the brakes.
0: So, hmm, there was so much I want to ask about, Chest, and you kind of summed it up. I just, um, so okay, let, let's. Chesterton is in so in this land, he's trying to fight the the modernity the push in this new enlightenment, this new cosmology that what you're experiencing um, is actually real. This is not
1: right Well so he so he he first he tries to push us back to a literal use of the law right So he says the law, The fundamentally God gave us a moral law, and that Mm -hmm. is what law is literally right. So he says, You can't, um, so that's non fudgeable, right?
0: Like you can't fudge on that,
1: yeah. So the moral law, and then he says, There are other things that are, um, what you would call the law, the law of reason, right? There are deductive, um realities that you could say well that's a law so he he says if a uh if a man has never been married then he is a bachelor right that's that's deductive reasoning and he says so there's the law of reason and then there is the moral law he says those are literal uses of the word law and then he says the laws of nature that's that is a metaphorical use and but we're trying to say that one is literal and then um People will take that view of the the, the the laws of nature that that you can induce through inductive reasoning come to a law, and then say that law is the one is active. That then they try and reinterpret the moral law that way, right? That somehow the moral law is an attempt for the law to be active upon us to to get us to 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 make us into a particular kind of people, the same way that we were created, we were created by the forces of nature, right through evolution, that somehow the moral law is part of that forces of nature that's creating us into who we are, right. So that it's not a, so that it's not a moral law given by God that, um, that it doesn't the, the law doesn't act upon us in that sort of way. Right. So the justice of a personal God might act upon us because we broke the law, but the law itself is not active. The law is a standard. Does that make sense?
0: The yeah, law is so a standard the...
1: by which we judge actions. The law itself is not active in that way. Now, the um, the word of God is active and part of the word of God is the law, but it's not active because it's law. It's active because the Holy Spirit um, has said, "This is my tool, the Word of God." You're created by it. You're recreated by it. You're sustained by it. You're restored by it. But it's the active power of the Holy Spirit. There's not a. There's not a way in which the law set apart, aside from God, is active. It is passive. Law is passive, right? Um, whereas, so you you need a personal um somebody to personally enact justice based upon the law but the law is simply a standard and that's why paul goes out of his way to say the law can't save you the law doesn't change hearts right The 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 active nature of the law when or the, the active nature of our heart when we try to use the law in that way actually um inflames the problems within us because the law is not active right and so when we try and act as if it is it does something different we need the spirit of god to change and transform us we need this the spirit of god to use the word of god that way right so the word of god is um it it seems like a a small distinction but it's not actually because it's a different it's a completely different understanding of the world it's a completely different understanding of reality right and you can't live in a false reality it doesn't it just doesn't work it's like saying um what so uh it's like trying to say hey i can make time work backwards so i can do whatever i want well you can't make time work backwards and so it doesn't matter how hard you believe it it's just the world doesn't function that way time moves in a particular direction and it always will um so he says the laws of reason, and the law and the moral law are the literal, and the laws of nature are the metaphorical. They only continue to work because God is present uh, everywhere, present in every time, and present in an active and joyful way.
0: You know that's Jason... that's
1: why the laws of nature, the quote unquote, the laws of nature quote unquote work right but he's saying they don't work god works god is at work um and so and and he's consistent because he's joyful and alive and that's what living joy looks like is consistency
0: and so he's ultimately trying to get you to put your your trust he's fighting the second commandment of idolatry then right like that's what Mm -hmm. this ultimately is dealing with like you and so when you it's funny um, what uh, idols um, you become like what you worship yeah right and so uh, I I don't want because I don't want to lose all this time but I want to get so then inside of that inside of that reality. that Man, there's so much there, Jason. Um, <laughs>
1: right.
0: I, I felt That's... like I understood this until we started talking. Now I feel like I don't understand this at all. I, so I know, because this is, and Chesterton does this. Um, so then, let me try and, because I want to bring prayer into this, but I want to understand, what is it that, when, he, when, he, when he's breaking down, he's doing this paradox thing like you just did, are the laws of, is he trying to hold up the um, those other laws only in context of of those of the two laws that actually exist? Does that make sense? The question. So is yeah, he saying so, no? Yeah.
1: So the laws Go of ahead. the law of of reason. He said you can't. You, you we. He said the law the when you discover the laws of reason, you discover how unreasonable modernity is. Right. So that's part of what his argument is because the laws of reason can't be changed you can't write a story in which two plus two is five right and and be still being reasonable right that's it doesn't work that way um it it, uh you can't he said you can't write a story in which the firstborn um you that that the child of a mother is older than the mother Right. It's like it just it doesn't work. You can't write that story. Um, it does because the uh, the laws of reason tell us that um, that being born first is what makes you older. right? So if if the mother is born first, then she's older. just by definition. that's how the laws of reason work. And then he says, and you can't write a story and call it a good story in which the moral law is changed either. So, if you tried to tell a story in which um, Stalin is a good guy, right. Be that murdering, you know, the, that, or that, uh, you know, the, the um, murder of all, you know, like in, in those sects of Islam in which the murder of all the Jews is the goal of history. Right? So you can't write a, that story and say that those are the good guys, Right, because the moral law is like the laws of reason; it's something that um, exists apart from us, and we're judged according to it. We don't, um, it, we don't create it. We didn't create it. Right. This is man, well. He's
0: going through this back. Nineteen thirty six is when he died.
1: <laughs> I know he's he, he's going through eighteen seventy four to nineteen thirty six. Yeah, he, life, he's like life. He he he. Um, it's so interesting because he's had a major influence on Christians and non-Christians alike. So there are a lot of non-Christian writers that will point to him. You know, Terry Pratchett is a good example. He's not a Christian, not even close, but he calls Chesterton the only man who could really see. Right. So um, Neil Gaiman, he's another author who's not a Christian says chesterton was a major influence on me he's and he'll say c.s lewis major influence on me as well So because they could they could see um what what was real and what was not real and they wanted to write stories about what was real and they used fairy tales
0: (laughs) right and and that's what because you can't switch
1: the morality and still have a good story
0: and And a fairy tale that shows
1: yeah Whereas so you can get rid of all the laws of nature, yeah, exactly. You can you can change all the laws of nature. He says you can you can have a uh, a a tree grow apples of gold, and it and in a fairy tale, and everybody says, yeah, that's reasonable. But you can't have um, you know, let's say the you you couldn't have somebody that kills all of the uh, you know, that that destroys every flower in the universe and call them good. Right. Like right. that's not it. That, that, that would be. Everybody knows with, Thanos is
0: a bad everybody guy. Everybody
1: knows that's the bad yeah. guy. Yeah. Thanos is the bad guy. We're going to kill. And th- this is what.
0: Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah.
1: What was so powerful. The reason that the, the um, uh, infinity wars was so powerful. Was because they used they this is this brilliant this is brilliant storytelling is they took um, Thanos's story and they put it into the normal hero arc, so than that that story is Thanos's hero, um, you know the, narrative the story that he tells of, himself. The, yeah, the, it's they 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 were they told it from Thanos's mm-hmm. perspective as if he was the hero, and so you walk away. It was disturbing in the right sort of way because you know he's not, and yet I immediately right the next day I talked to people that saw it and they were like, "Man, Thanos seems so reasonable," but I know he's I know he's the bad guy like the, but it was because they were telling the, the story from the the they were telling Thanos's internal narrative of his hero art, his own. It, it was his origin story in his own mind of why he's the hero of the universe, right? So you have um, Milton does the same thing with Satan in Paradise Lost. He puts together the Greek hero arc and he puts Satan into it to show, one, to show that the Greek heroes weren't all that heroic, but also to show Satan's own Hero arc narrative that he's telling to himself to the world, so that you can recognize it in your own head. So that when you say the sort of thing that Satan says to show he's the hero, you know, you read along and you're like, Oh man, I Satan seems kind of reasonable at this moment. I've said that sort of thing to myself about myself, and you realize, Oh, it's because I am not telling the truth in my own story, right? So, um That it's a really brilliant use of of what Chesterton's talking about in terms of you know storytelling and morality.
0: So then why is it that we get done watching Infinity Wars and then we look at Bill Gates? I mean, everybody knew who Thanos was the bad guy and they sympathize with him, but how's it that we don't look at people who push for depopulation as the folks that we need to completely like get, like, so, so, yeah, yeah, resist in every way. And, and so Bill Gates way. and World Economic Forum is able to get so many people, like, why are we in America sending over our FBI agents and allowing them to even have conversations with people? who share the same cosmology as Thanos. How come we don't see that so clearly?
1: I think it's, well, I think there's two reasons. One, I do think that there's a lot of narrative control. This is, and, and this is the, this is the place where I agree with Steven Crowder, right? You've got this massive attempt at narrative control that you have to just resist. Now, whether he's doing a good job at it or not, I just haven't been close enough to the whole thing to know if he is doing a good job. But he's right that it's an artist's job in a day and age like ours to resist the narrative control by presenting the truth, right? By putting forward the truth in a rhetorically effective way, That's the job of an artist is to beautify the truth. So, uh, and he's saying you can't do that if you play along with their narrative control games. That's not you can't beautify the truth if you say, Okay, well, we'll play, we'll wear we, it, hey, we're we're going into battle, and the enemy says, Well, you have to wear these these handcuffs while you fight. And you say, Okay. <laughs> you don't you just don't do that. You say, uh, how about no? Um and the the truth wins out because it is more beautiful, if you're storytellers have the freedom to tell the truth um and you know Ch- chesterton is that's what he's trying to explain or that's what he's making beautiful right so oh man this book right here essay is presented to charles williams uh, i have them edited yeah. by edited by c.s lewis so this is all of the next generation of artists that were affected to their core by Chesterton's orthodoxy, explaining how they are trying to do what Chesterton talks about. So you've got Dorothy Sayers, J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, Owen Barfield, Gervase Matthews, and W.H. Lewis each wrote this. I think this is one of the most important books that was published in the 20th century and it's a series of essays presented to Charles Williams um, on the fourth chapter of
0: Really? Of-
1: yeah, okay, so, I mean, they don't so- come so- out and say that. C.S. Lewis says it in other places, but that that is, so you, you have um, all, basically the next generation of artists that went out and changed the world. They read this and they said, oh, okay, so you go write um, I mean, C.S. Lewis said, "I'll write a sci-fi story. Tolkien, you go write a time travel story. Let's go um, do what Chesterton's talking about." Um, okay, so Tolkien never finished his time travel story, but
0: he, C.S. he Lewis got a wrote few the
1: space trilogy.
0: He got a few licks in, though. Tolkien got a few. He licks did. In. Oh
1: yeah, I mean, Tolkien. <laughs> uh, he's, he's the, he is he's arguably the most well-read poet of the 20th century. More people so, read Jason, his poetry than any other poet in the 20th century.
0: Where is the bridge at that gets you to prayer? Because this sounds great and that's interesting. But then you said somehow this is supposed to bring in prayer. I don't – where's the right. bridge?
1: So, Well, the, the bridge is um, if if we live in a world in which God is present and active constantly, he is everywhere, he is everywhere in an active way um, and he is the force you know his, his joy is the force behind all that's happening um then when we're told hey you're one of my counselors on what i should do with the force we're saying oh well the power is is there god is almighty Meaning all power is God's Doesn't mean he's the strongest It means that all power is God's So every power that you see Anywhere else is borrowed power Loaned power
0: That's what Jesus said so, right and He's like you don't have any Jesus power said. except it comes from my father Right
1: exactly right So um, if that's the case Then The the Machiavellian attempt to
0: um, mm. Say
1: Say we're going to control this place and the power has to do with direct influence. And so we need to gather it up into one particular place and then we'll have power over reality. That's a, that's a myth. That's the fairy tale. That's the impossibility, the fairy tale in the wrong sense of the word, right? That's the myth, but we have all bought into it. And so we don't pray. Right. Whereas if, if we look around and we say, the joy of the Lord is the fundamental power. The song of the spirit is what holds this place together. The continued singing of the spirit. Um, Jonathan Edwards called it the constant creation of, uh, mm. of, of God, right. That, that, that God didn't create and then let the place go. You know, he didn't wind it up and let it go that um, God created by his word. And it re- remains because God is still speaking. he's constantly, speaking this place that's why it continues to exist right he it's not um it doesn't have existence apart from the continued active sustaining of god's voice so we are the opera of the spirit this place is the opera of the spirit and he's told us hey when you pray Right. That's going to be one of the things that guides and directs where this opera goes, where, how this story goes. That's a different, that's such a different understanding of who we are, where we are, what's going on around us, that it, it's the sort of thing that when it gets into your bones, you pray constantly. Right? And so when we're told, pray without ceasing, we always say, that's a, that's a hard task right as if god is a pharaoh who is giving us the, <laughs> a hard hard job to do as his slaves yeah um, ra- go make some here, bricks god. without straw go make some bricks without straw rather than saying oh man well the joy of the lord is my strength and it's not it's not the joy that the lord gives me is my strength it's the fact that god is so filled with joy mm. that i have any strength right It's God's joy is our strength.
0: There's a reality. There's a reality. There's a reality. I'm sorry. I'll let you, but what you just said there, the way you broke that up is that we keep on thinking that we'll get some of that. And it's, but the reality that it's there is the thing that gives strength, not the fact that no, it it exists. Therefore it is. Therefore I'm take joy in that.
1: Right. And so, which
0: is a different, yeah,
1: it is completely different. And so that's why, so what Chesterton is saying is as soon as we come to the conclusion that um that this whole place is so packed full with the gifts of god all the way down to like oh i woke up with 10 toes this morning look at that they're still there right he says that all of there's, there's too much to we that we can't be grateful enough right we can't there's there's no way to catch up with our thanks thanksgiving to the gift giving of god right so um so that even so when we approach him in prayer we approach in a different way because we're approaching the god whose overflowing love and joy can't be kept up with we can't return enough gratitude to keep up with it um and so we have so it it becomes instead um a a posture right so okay the posture is gratitude and then the prayer flows from that posture of gratitude i remember and I mentioned this. I mentioned this to you, and, and you said, "Oh, I've heard that before." I was at a uh, at a black church. Um, been in. I was there. You know, doing some filling in as one of the prayer pastors. A friend of mine was. He was like, "Hey, I'm I'm not gonna be able to make it. We're having a special prayer service. Would you go? Be one of the uh, pastors that waits for you know? We it was a great sermon." and then some singing and then people coming down for prayer so it was just a prayer service and so it was myself and and uh uh i think there were four there were four or six pastors and we broke them into into two uh two two pastors to each group and then people made a line and they came down front and they said this is what i need prayer for and we prayed for them and then it was it was really great service and but right um the at the the pastor that was kicking off the prayer he started his prayer father i'm grateful that i woke up with the use of all my limbs again and I, I was like oh man that's a good prayer i had and and you were like yeah i heard that one before right that's a mm-hmm. that's a a. it's, uh, it's a mark, traditional marker a, in a, a black standard. church yeah yeah right it, which is a, it woke and, up in my great. right
0: mind with use of all of my limbs and
1: yep. uh yep, yeah yeah and and that's a that is a good g- a great prayer and that's a good way to to frame uh the a prayer service like the things that we think of as the norm uh, the the blessings that we think of as, as the norm when we think in a in a machiavellian cosmology aren't things we say thankful for we say thank you for because they're mm. the things those are the ways that the world is just obeying the laws of
0: nature they're not Jason, that's really good. You can to say that again. Anymore. That's really good. That's really good. So, oh, so when we take for granted the blessings that God gives us, we are operating in the wrong. We we are operating in the wrong kind of universe where we don't recognize this is the kind of world that God is constantly speaking into. Instead, yeah, we think right. it's another type of world that is just operating and in the flow, and that's just the way things go. I have use of my hands. I have use of my eyes. I have the sun. Right. I have grass. That's just the way things are. That's the law right. that's operating rather than, yeah. oh, God did it again. Another sunrise. Right. I have oxygen. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. goodness. Thank you, Jesus. I can walk. <laughs> My beard because, is still here. <laughs> and what? And what? Because what
1: happens is when uh. you wake up, if if you wake up in the morning without your hands, um, and you would, who broke the law? Well, the world broke the law, and so you have a right to be bitter. If the law, if there, if it's supposed to be obeying the laws of nature, and you wake up one day and you don't have something, then you think you ought to, because of the laws of nature, then it's you. You're not the one. It, it it broke the law so you have a right to be bitter and upset if something goes wrong so right? then so rather than yeah. us being the lawbreaker who is getting incredible mercy and grace every day because we're the like we're we're the ones that broke the law we're the ones that resisted reality and yet we still wake up with air and sunshine and the ground still keeps... Throwing up taste food, bud, right? Yeah, you, you, And yeah. the 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 trees yeah. keep throwing down fruit. You know, uh, yeah. in, in spite of the fact that we broke the law, right? Um, the and nobody thinks that's you,
0: strange. It, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <Right>. I know. <laughs> right. So right. so
1: it, right. it's um, when you get which thing, which law is is the is the literal, and which law is the metaphor right the laws of nature are the metaphor the laws of morality and reason are the literal then you it it he, the point he makes is you know what to say thank you for and you know he he starts by saying uh, you know if if i can wake up and get a gift on my birthday and say thank you for it can i wake up and see that i've got two legs every morning and say thank you for it because that's a gift too in a in in the economy uh, of reality right that's it too so it's a what, such a different it's a just a different posture altogether
0: no 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 i there's a certain excitement that i just had come into a deeper realization of that is um that taking well there's a couple things in it is impossible for any human being in this world not to be thankful. Which means if that's true, and I believe it very much is, even your hardened atheist is thankful for his mom or dad right. or for well, his intellect or for his the very thing that he uses the Niger. And the only reason that he can hold to that position is because the world is the kind of place that is overflow that exists because of the overflowing love that the trying you got. Yeah. And because of that, there are certain realities that he can't even escape. Which is thankfulness? It's right. impossible. When,
1: when I was an atheist, I I was at one point I was driving, um, I I we I was driving over the freeway, um, and sitting in the back of a minivan, and and the sun was setting, and I was driving, and I and I remember thinking, man, atheism's lame because I wish I had somebody to say thank you for but I know there isn't anyone, right? So you had this, this thankful thankfulness welling up in me for this beautiful moment. Um, and there were all sorts of things that I was very thankful for that I wished there was somebody to say thank you for. And I used to talk myself out of saying thank you because it was, um, I mean, I think the, the hardest, uh, the most difficult argument that I had Answering um, the argument for atheism was uh, by Douglas Adams, right? The guy that wrote um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, the Salmon at the End of the Universe. You know, the, all these he wrote these books. They're very funny. I was uh, read a lot of Douglas Adams, but he also has a series of essays. Uh, there's a really funny one where he is given the um, he is given a w- one of the very earliest smartphones, and he's asked to review it. And he writes the review on it um, and talks about the experience of it. It's very funny. Um, But in there, he's got this argument for atheism. And, um, you know, if you watch. If you if you watched uh, Collision, Darren Doan's movie um, in there. uh, Who's the atheist in that?
0: Christopher Um, Hitchens.
1: Christopher Hitchens in there there's this moment where Doug says, what, what do you find to be the hardest thing to answer? And he says, the fine tuning of the universe, right? The fine tuning of the universe is a really hard, is really hard to give an answer to. And, um, it, but the best answer that you're going to find from an atheist is Douglas Adams in this book of essays. He's got an essay explaining how the fine tuning of the universe can happen in an atheistic universe. It's really powerful.
0: I wonder, and it, I wonder if, if atheists are thankful for that book.
1: <laughs> so the, and, and what he, what he argues is that because of the laws of nature, um, the laws of nature act are, are like the, the, um, the, the, the hole in the ground that holds a puddle, the puddle takes the shape of the hole in the ground because it is malleable. And the, the edges of the the outside of the puddle is not malleable. And so the, the puddle might say, look, we fit this, we fit into this, uh, hole perfectly. This, we are perfectly tuned, fine tuned, even To the edges of this puddle, or to to fit into this hole, hole. there must be a creator. But actually, the creator is the hole. He said the laws of nature are the hole that have created us. And so we're fine-tuned to the laws of nature because they are solid and we are malleable. That took a long time for me to find an, an answer to. Um, and it was it was long after I had already met Jesus and was following him that I finally found an answer. And it's Chesterton who says laws of nature is a metaphor. Dork. Okay, that, that's <laughs> what not solid. To... Go, go ahead. Right? Those, those aren't solid, that's right? And so, but that was the reason I was having a hard time saying thank you as an atheist is because I believed the cosmology that in which the metaphor was taken for the literal. And the literal well, was taken for the metaphor. It was a spiritual dullness that was a, and that's why that we, that's, was a poetic uh ignorance.
0: But that's why we have a hard time praying.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Right. Because, because we, we share have the same bought cosmology. cosmology. Yeah. Yep. And and our lack of prayer is evidence of it. Um, you
0: know, that, ouch. I know. It hurts you, you know, this when, is the one thing when, I, when you were like
1: hey let's talk about prayer i was like oh man i better start praying again <laughs> i mean I, you know start yeah. getting consistent you know um this, but it's, because, it's amazing. You know, i'm because i'm not like a little kid with the joy that exp- enjoying the joy of god so I don't here's
0: pray. here's since we've been talking about cosmology it, everything's kind of shifted for me i i, I was on uh, jason whitlock show virgil walker wrote a great article talking about martin luther king um and where he really was and what he stood for and, and whether that we should be celebrating Martin Luther King's uh, birthday and uh, ultimately he said no and I actually agree with him um but one of the things that I brought up in that conversation was kind of the things we've been talking about which was while a lot of people will reject Martin Luther King's theology might embrace his ideology a little bit but um will reject his um uh, orthopraxy. those those, people pick and choose what they like with Martin Luther King from conservative liberals. Nobody really owns, everybody owns Martin Luther King in one way or another, which is the problem because people embrace his cosmology, even though they might be animistic towards each other. Both of them share the same cosmology at the end, Right. right? That all the power really is in one place and that we have to do things in order to get that power to grasp for it. You know, you got conservatives, you got liberals and they use Martin Luther King And stand right on top of his cosmology, and the way that you know that Martin Luther King ultimately felt the way that he felt about having a Machiavellian worldview was that if he thought that power was in some other place than the government, and that God had created institutions where he has placed authority at, then he would have never cheated on his wife, and he would have saw that the most important and powerful place to operate from but he didn't believe that and so now while that is like oh yeah okay getting mlk we ain't no different when you have a cosmology that you share with an atheist because of the way that you think the world is then you will find that you will operate atheistically inside society if that's even the way to say that um (laughs) you have atheistic assumption because you aren't filled with prayer. If you don't share that cosmology, then your lifestyle has a prayerful posture constantly. Now I've been trying to figure out Jason for whatever reason last year, since we've been talking, my prayer life has started to go up. I don't even, I can't even attest to, I know why now my cosmology is starting to shift. And when when my cosmology started to shift, one of the first places it shifted was in faith in understanding how the world, that was one of the first books that we we started talking about was what is faith by Jay Gresham Machen, right? Um, Maken and, and uh, say Machen, I don't know which one it is. And, but it started to, that book was a metaphysical switch for me on what type of world this is. Right. And this is the kind of world where you can actually trust God to do what He said He's going to do, even though what you see in front of you might not be the reality of God's word, right? So, and that's and and that's the thing that causes Abraham to leave out from his family and go into a land that he wasn't familiar with because God told him He was going to have it. And, right. And so, go ahead. I know you want to jump in. I'm
1: just, we, but it's starting connecting we, 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 so much. We, 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 he looked at it and he said how oh, this world is held together by the the covenant binding of the man of, of the of the being who's speaking to me right now. I should do what he says. Right. I can trust him. Because it's because he's holding this place together. Right. By the word of his power. Um, it, so when he says, hey, go that way. You say, oh, OK, I don't need to know what's over there because I know the one who pointed mm. he's he's trust, trustworthy and that is a, a different sort of it's just a, a completely different understanding of the personal the personal nature of god's interactions with us or I, we don't even really have a vocabulary in the modern world to describe how close to us and involved with us God is.
0: I was just reading that in Deuteronomy, I think, or Deuteronomy, probably the beginning of Joshua, that the word is closely united to thy mouth, and it's like it's yeah. there, it's right, right. Yeah. like that's how close yeah. it is. Do you understand yeah. that? Yeah, and yet, and so, um, so then how do you what? How do you you know, so many people there, they ask this question. But how do you pray then? How what is, I, I teach my kids the catechism. What is prayer? Prayer is the offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ, where it pins our sin and humble acknowledgments and His mercies. Right, like that is what prayer is. We, um, uh, but that is a statement that has so much underneath it. So how do you then pray? What does prayer look like? How do how do you engage it? Um, and. You know, and I guess part of it is like, well, if there's thankfulness, you start with being thankful. How does this engage? And then, because it's going to shift the way we pray. Because now when I started praying, I realized I used to wonder, how could people pray for hours? I was the first, like, man, people, Martin Luther said that, uh, not Martin Luther King or Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther said, like, hey, I, I have so much to do that I can't. Uh, I, I must begin the day in like three or four hours of prayer. Something yeah, like that. He great. Yeah. that like great, he's man. like, I have so we're, much to do like, that I need four hours of prayer. And, man, and when man, you, when you go, by <laughs> yeah, you know, right. Yeah. And then when you look at, but, but when you start praying, all of a sudden it's amazing how the spirit fuses and your mind starts thinking about like, well, it's like a universe opens up, boom, and you're just flying through the galaxy. Okay, I need to pray about that. I need to pray about this. And so I pray with the kids on the way to school in the morning. We call grandma, we get on the phone, and I take that time to pray. And I can just, I realize that's like a 20 minute drive. I realize I need another hour to really <laughs> get through. If I understand yeah. what prayer really is, to pray for all these things specifically and not in, oh, God bless this. Well, what does that even mean? You know, stop it what do you want them to do?
1: <laughs> yeah. Right.
0: Well, I, and and I you know,
1: so there's, there's all part of it is there's all kinds of prayer. And if you, when you start reading on prayer throughout history, you see that the, that the church has done a lot of, you know, thinking about prayer and, and talk about prayer and development on what is prayer and, but there's different kinds of prayer because you've got corporate prayer at church.
0: Right, it's part of right.
1: covenant renewal that is central and important and good. You, um, our singing, um, in is falls under the category of prayer in church. Our whole
0: service That's, does, right?
1: Our, the whole service does as a whole, and then the singing, the singing and the yeah. prayer in particular are because it's a conversation. Um, but we're supposed, what we're supposed to do is see how the co- how the corporate conversation goes right that's our people that's who we are and and then we it individuates into our lives so the the um the rhythms of a gospel shaped liturgy we can personalize right now it's a different sort of thing right it's not covenant renewal um in the same sort of way but you know when i when i commit a sin um You you just, you stop and you say, okay, Lord, that was a sin. Please forgive me. And you know, because of the liturgical voice of, of God, that the spirit has, that the spirit, every time, you know, you come to him on Sunday morning, the spirit has said to us through, um, through his appointed minister um, Jesus has the voice of Christ. We have heard the voice of Christ say to us over and over, "You are pardoned, your right? sins." So are we forgiven. know that's yeah. His answer. Your sins are forgiven. Uh, we know that's His answer uh, because He's been saying it over and over and over throughout history to His people. So, um, and then mm. we have the promise in His Word, right? So, so um, you don't hear in you don't hear His audible voice in your personal prayers the way that you do hear His audible voice returned in the the corporate setting in the liturgical setting, when his ambassador responds on his behalf, the way that he has been told to respond, I forgive you. Right. So we know that's his response to, so we can go in faith um, to the, our confessions uh, we've been forgiven. Uh, And then we're supposed to learn, we're supposed to internalize that so that when other people confess their sins to us, we don't wait to forgive, right? Jesus doesn't wait to forgive us. He doesn't make us, you know, do a trick for it. He doesn't make us ask over and over and over when we, so we can learn to be forgiving in the same sort of way as we are, have been forgiven by Christ in that corporate setting. And then over and over in our personal lives,
0: this is really important because right now with all of the racial animosity and things that are kind of boiling back up, you know, uh, Sean Lucas, came on cross politic and said, you know, he was quoting, I believe, um, uh, J. Ligon Duncan, but he said, hey, you know, how many, they were asking J. Ligon, how many times do we need to, you know, ask for forgiveness to our brothers who we have, you know, the past that we have sinned for our forefathers and we're rep- repenting for it. And um, he says, well, you keep asking until they forgive you. Um, and I remember being so offended by that. I, I was so offended by that because I'm like, wait a second, that's not, the way that God treats us. You know, right. it, it, we we God come, yes, oh, forgiven. Yes, now let's fellowship. Come to the table, let's eat. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and we've created this like you we have to like we've created the onus on the individual to say, well, until I feel like you have it's like, but that's yeah. not we're that unworthy servant who has been harsher <laughs> on his oh on the service of him than the master's been to him, right? And he's like, Well, how could you? How could you look how much I forgave you for it. You're going to hold this man in that kind of contempt. And for a minister of the gospel, not to be able to apply something that is at the core of our tradition to this situation bothered me because now you're playing with my salvation, homie. You, you, you're taking, you're taking, and that's dangerous. And I think what's hard is
1: like a grudge is really heavy and we should drop it right it's not worth carrying. it'll bend your back and that's what it's supposed to do (laughs) yeah exactly and so for um, a minister of the gospel should say well you you shouldn't have to ask over and over jesus died for us right and i should say and i would say to them forgive forgive quicker now if you say hey you've committed this sin against me 25 times. Um, You have, you have robbed me. You have, you have held me up at gunpoint 25 times and um, you've asked for forgiveness 25 times, but I'm not going to trust you to not do it again. And so I'm going to put something in, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to relationally distance myself from you. I'm going to, there are other, but, but it's not, but, um, you can say, I'm going to forgive you and not treat you according to the sin. And yeah, here's a wise, here's, here's some wise boundaries I'm going to put in place in our relationship. Um, right, th- for both those your, are not,
0: for you, for your and health for and mine,
1: right? Those are not mutually yeah. exclusive um, right. as if so, but the because forgiveness is a promise to not treat you according to your sin, but that doesn't mean I have to, let you continue to abuse me right i could say eh, right yeah absolutely. You're not, you're, absolutely we're not gonna we're not gonna be close anymore um and, and that's that's hard but it, that's, there's a wisdom in that but there's also a wisdom in knowing that me holding a grudge me holding you know, that bitterness is a root that infects everything bitterness is a root that over that um that if i let it grow gets into everything so i'm not gonna be I, I, I'm, I'm going to resist bitterness with, with all my strength, resist holding a grudge with all my strength, because it's, it's a way of keeping your sin presently active in my life. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to walk away. And, and often, you know, we have a lot of relationships where we do just have to be forgiving each other a lot. Right. And that's, it's just, we're, we're sinners living, um, living in the in the same quarters often with other what sinners. Is that? and yeah, so I
0: didn't talk about marriage yeah.
1: you know what I'm saying yeah exactly marriage parenting you know I've asked my kids forgiveness all the time I just had to I'm on a co-ed soccer team with my daughter and and I got really angry in the middle of our last game because I'm hyper competitive if you get to know me at all it's, it's terrible. I'm you got super, angry? Oh my gosh so bad. It comes out in sports. I'm really really competitive um, and oh, I, I have and to see this. So I said, I said something snappy and swore at one of the other players on the team. And it was, it was bad. I saw And Zori was, Zori was playing defense. She was right there. I would ask her to forgive me. And, and this coming, this coming weekend, I'll have to ask the rest of the team to forgive me. Cause I was, con- anyway, it was, it's really bad. Like I'm, but I'm, I'm very, I mean, I'm, I'm a dude, right. I'm super, super competitive. Any sort of game you get me going. I mean, it's, and it, it has, it's done, it's a, it's a benefit in business to be competitive, right? To not want to lose, to want you, you, it's a motive, it's motivation, but I'm that way. It's really bad when you start, when I started playing sports. So, um. so you have to, and, but me, my daughter's been forgiving me since she was just a little wee bab, right? And so I asked her to forgive me. She was like, I forgive you. Gave me a hug and then we move you. on right we're living in the same we're living in quarters close quarters and have been for a long time and so you've got this whole um, that there's a a way that you live together that expects to have to forgive one another right okay, and the Psalms so, so- present our relationship mm. with God that way right that he that God is merciful and forgiving, right? He says that over and over and over as if the expectation is we're going to need a lot of that. We're going to need a lot of mercy and grace and forgiveness from God. And so he tells us over and over, hey, keep coming back. I'm very merciful. I'm very forgiving. You're going to need a ton of it. So, Right? Because you're so, so, living in close quarters with, with God constantly.
0: So how do you pray? So you got forgive, you got repentance.
1: Yeah. How does one so, engage
0: well, in a lifestyle of prayer?
1: I I learned from R.C. Sproul really early in my um, faith that acronym acts: adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So, in like official prayer time, um, that's how I pray. Right. So in the morning. I go through adoration, confession, Thanksgiving, supplication, and then throughout the day, there's a lot of "Oh Lord, ooh, help me with this one." Oh Lord, I'm um, uh, <laughs> forgive me for that. So it's the um, the the presence of God with us as we you know the the world um, because of because God is omnipresent, everything. Mm-hmm no matter where you are, it's close quarters with God. Right. So there's a, a a day in day out conversation that we have with the Lord who is always with us. And then there are um, like our family gets together every night before bed and we pray. Um, Hey, what is What do you guys need prayer for today? Um, Who can, and we, you know, Oh, and Oh, grandpa needs prayer. And, um, my friend at school needs prayer. And, and so then we, we pray and we go youngest to oldest. So Malachi starts us off and we go through and everybody says a prayer. And we've been doing that since before Malachi could talk at least. I mean, well, since, since we we're very, very small. So, um, we pray at meals and, you know, so there are markers throughout the day to remind you to pray and then official kind of gathered times of prayer for the family institution. Um, and then, you know, there's gathered times of prayer for the church as an institution. Um, and then, you know, so I don't know. Does that does that answer your question? Because there's individual prayer and there's institutional prayer, and each institution should have official times of prayer for its institution. So your family is an institution that exists; it's a corporate entity. So it should have a, an official time of prayer. Ours is 8 30 every day, 8 30 PM, right? We all get together and we pray. Because at nine people the different people start going to bed. My older teenagers go to bed before my younger ones because they've gotten to that point in their life where they put themselves to bed.
0: <laughs> I, <I've>, yep, <laughs> so it's like yep,
1: I get that. It's like, oh, so eight thirty, we sit down, and we pray. And then so in the eight forty five, they my uh, olders start going to bed and and then I have to push my youngest to bed after later yeah. um so you, but you so it's like, i think you've institutional prayer and personal prayer are both real and important um but y- the institutional prayer with your kids is what teaches them the personal prayer right and so you know our kids now they'll say you know they will snap at each other then they'll walk away and they'll come back 10 minutes later and be like oh feel guilty because I went to pray about something and realized I was out of fellowship with you. So will you forgive me? I forgive you. <laughs> right? Like, like the, the conviction comes when something, because we've been telling them, Hey, have you prayed about it since they were little? You know, have you prayed about this? Go pray about it. Go to your room, pray about it for a little bit and then come back and we'll talk. Right. So we've been trying to train them. You start, you bring everything to the Lord first because he's closer to you than we are. Right. So we're second. We're, we're, we're the second ring of relationships. Your parents are the second ring of relationships with with their kids. God is the first ring of their, of He's closer with them than you are. So you teach them. That's only true in the Presbyterian
0: cosmology, though.
1: (laughs) Dang. Man, you're a. what you got a grudge (laughs) you got a grudge today because your grudges no No, i don't no i'm just i'm just saying
0: you know know. i'm I'm just saying i'm just you know it is what it is but uh,
1: it's it's and i'm grateful it's become so second nature to me i i honestly don't see it often
0: i you know what no it's second nature to everybody because it's true it's second nature to everybody because i listen to Bodhi Bakum just do a wonderful job recently at the conference, the founders conference. And he was just talking about the blessings of God through faithful generations yeah. and how it was post. It was wonderful. Just wonderful. And one of the things that I thought of as he's talking is, and that's why we baptize our children. He just went, he just yeah. assumed the reality that the children are going to be faithful children yeah. of the Lord has, and are going the, to come the, and be in, in the fight. You know, and clearest, I, just, I love it. Place. I love it.
1: Yeah. Totally. The clearest and best book I ever read on covenant succession at, and raising your kids by faith and not by works was written by a Baptist pastor. My uncle is a Baptist pastor. Um, so I don't think that I, I, but I do think that it's just, it, there's some different cosmological assumptions that make you say, which is why we baptize ver- versus we don't have to baptize because it's true. Like the, the, it doesn't mean that the promises about our kids are not true. If we don't baptize. Um, Right.
0: Exactly. This is the world God made, regardless if you do it or not, which is why you can't help, but operate that way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, 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 um, and I think this is why most discussions about baptism. Infant baptism don't get very far. Right. Because most exactly people can't right. see, or uh, well, sometimes it's because Presbyterians haven't run out the cosmological question and how baptism answers it. So that's some of it. Um, so you actually have a shared cosmology underneath, and then it just becomes two traditions at fighting, right? That's Which exactly is not what right. you what you want, right? We we want scriptural arguments not arguments from traditions because we're, we're presbyterians right we're so um and i love you know and i love it, the traditions of the church and i'm happy to embrace them and i you know i, I i'm not, they're not a threat the traditions of the church are not a threat um they are key like chesterton says in orthodoxy the traditions are just letting the dead have a vote um on oh that <laughs> was no, so on, good on the execution right yeah so it's the he calls the traditions the democracy of the dead, right? The you, the the dead still get a vote on the uh, traditions. There's a great book written by Neil Gaiman called The Graveyard Book. It's a book for kids trying to help them understand why traditions are important. It's a beautiful,
0: beautiful. So kids I need book. I I need this book then. Um. Uh, we got it. We gotta go. Yeah, we're we'll running out of time. Um. How much time do you have?
1: Uh about five minutes.
0: Do you think we can put together our book list in five minutes?
1: With everybody well, listening. Yeah, let me let me grab it. I got I got my little stack right here.
0: Oh, you already picked your twelve? I already picked my twelve. Doggone um hold on, let me make sure. Oathbreakers, no reading list for January, Jason. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Why do we have, okay, so this is, mm, I don't have mine with me. Oh, you
1: don't have yours with you? Okay.
0: No, but I I don't have my books with me, but I have my list with me. Okay. Oh, I got to pick 12. All right. What are your, what are your 12? Okay. Name and title. Not reason why we're reading them, but name and title. Hey, how do we, mm, all right. We'll talk about that later. All right. So somebody, some, the reason yeah, – yeah, I'm ready. Go for it. So Purgatorio. Oops.
1: Purgatorio. Okay.
0: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that was – so I don't. I can take that one off my list. Good. Okay. Um, from Purgatorio from Dante.
1: The John Dunn Treasury.
0: Okay. All right. I'll buy it. <laughs> it's very, it's small. That it is, it is. It's a little yeah. book of poetry. J- okay, all right, all right, all okay.
1: right. Much ado about nothing, by William Shakespeare.
0: Really? That's four. Yeah, right. That's four. That's
1: three. Yeah, okay.
0: that's three. All right.
1: The Ars Poetica by Horace.
0: Okay, that's five.
1: A Preface to Paradise Lost by C.S. Lewis.
0: <laughs> okay, six.
1: All right. Paradise Lost by John Milton.
0: <laughs> I knew it was coming. Seven. <laughs> I just knew it.
1: The Stranger by Ben Palpent. Okay. All right. Which
0: one is that? So eight?
1: Medita- Meditations on the Christ is the subtitle of that one. It's a book of poetry.
0: Okay, is um, that eight. That seven. I think I that was seven. Yeah, I think that was that's seven. seven.
1: Um. Okay. Uh. This. Um. The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Coleridge. Okay. That's eight. beowulf and i'm going to be reading the chickering um translation it's nine but uh doug wilson has a really good translation i got
0: that one uh, yeah
1: of beowulf that was good i just i just that was just the last one i read so i wanted to read a new translation the heavenly Uh, city of the 18th century philosophers by carl becker it's 10 it's 10 um Love in the Ruins by Walker
0: Percy. Didn't we go through that one last year?
1: We went through um, Cos-
0: Lost in the Cosmos. Uh,
1: Lost in the Cosmos, but this is a novel. Okay,
0: okay. that's eleven. Yeah, because I have that one too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I have the audiobook. That eleven.
1: All right, that's, a, that's eleven, right? Um, yep. And and then um, last but not least, the, the la- last but not least, I wanted to read. Um, it's called On Stories by C.S. Lewis.
0: Oh, I think I have that,
1: but I thought that's it was 12. in the pile. But when I pulled my pile down, it wasn't there. So,
0: all right, that's interesting. Uh, and
1: that, that's a reread for me. I've, that one I wanted to reread.
0: All these are rereads for you. So I
1: know, but I mean, there are ones that, a reread that I haven't read in a while. Yeah. So,
0: well, a lot like of these are going to be new I,
1: for me. Yeah.
0: So, is our goal to try and bring all these in in one week or another to the show because you know yeah, to to try and go through, and
1: say, so like every two it. weeks, say in two weeks, we'll be talking about so I think so like I think the next one we should should do is love in the ruins and because Valentine's Day is coming up and so
0: oh good, okay to all talk right.
1: and just say like our Valentine's Day episode can be about love
0: in the ruins. Um, so part of this, part of the reason why we're doing this is because I realized just how much, how illiterate I am, how much, by the time you get to a certain age, you realize you can build the kind of man that you want. If you put the work in, like you, you really realize like, I need to make this kind of man. And that's what this is. It's like, okay, these are the books that build a certain type of man. And I'm, that's why I'm like, Oh, let's, let's do this. And so those are the books that I think you're thinking of like, this, this will help Knox. Uh, <laughs> um, um, the Elements of Journalism. Okay. Uh, uh, by Kovac. You didn't say A Study in Words by C.S. Lewis, did you? I didn't,
1: know, but that's a great one. Yeah. I, I would yeah. love to read that one.
0: So that's two. Three for me is Egalitarianism as a Revolt <laughs> Against Nature.
1: Nice. You've been sending me some quotes by, from that one
0: by R- Murray Rothbard. Um, th- um, that's three, right? Christian Christianity and Liberalism by J. Gresham Machen. That's four. Harvard Classics in 365 Days. Um, so oh, I got to order that one. I don't have that one. Yeah, it's on Kindle. It's not. It's really. It's not a book. It's just a. They found basically the most important chapters in all the books and gathered them for you to read. I read Friendship on Cicero has been fascinating. Okay. Um
1: Yeah, it's a good public
0: one. opinion public opinion by Walter Lippman hmm.
1: That's a new one to me.
0: Yeah, I've been going back rediscovering what journalism is. Yeah. And Lippmann is one of the guys that's leading that um the feminization of American culture. Uh, I think it's Ann Douglas. Um the naked communists must read father hunger by Doug Wilson what number am I at
1: I I wasn't counting I'll keep counting now where's where are we at I'm at nine nine okay um
0: um sexual suicide by Gilder
1: ten I've been meaning to read that one so that's good
0: Idols for Destruction by Schlossberg. Eleven. You took Bear Wolf. Oh, this is so hard. Okay, so let me <laughs> tell you, is. this is hard because I have Heretics and Orthodoxy from Chesterton, grammatically correct, Reform Ethics by Bob Vink, What to Expect when No One's Expecting. Lord Service Myers Um Coming Apart by Murray, Creation in Six Days by Jordan, Rape of the Mind by Merlot, Elfin Knight, you know, that whole series. Here's what I'm gonna have to do for my 12th one. Crisis of the Negro Intellectual. By Ooh. So that's Who my 12th that? Crouch. I can't remember his first name. Um I want to Democracy, the guy that failed, but Taking George Gilder over that one, um, so that is, man, I think that's a, I think those. are So we picked twenty four. That's a good book list for us to get through this year. Um, we need to put those up somewhere for folks to be able to get to. All right,
1: I'm I'm trying to find that one, Crisis of the Which One? I
0: yeah, I can send you that one.
1: Herald, is it Harold is Harold. No, Harold Cruz and Stanley Crouch wrote the introduction. So Harold. Oh, did he? Am I looking at the right one? I think so. Okay. Nice. Okay. Excellent.
0: Yeah. Cruz. Yeah. Harold Cruz.
1: That's Um, fun. I got to order a couple new books. Oh, yeah, the, commu-
0: the 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 nec- naked communist i'm realizing we don't know what communism is like we have no idea like it when you look at what the communists have done and wanted to do they are succeeding in their in their mission yeah they won't win but they are succeeding right now yeah, and we have succeeding. a lot yeah, of we,
1: and it, and they yeah that's that's a really the, the, uh, the that is so it's so much more um important than we realize that that, yes um to win yes
0: and the reason we're losing that fight is because we're sharing the same cosmological presuppositions as they are and this is why i'm reading on egalitarianism because it's in all of us it's in Mm -hmm. all of us uh with when you hear the word superior and you flinch up or you you try to Come around and try and say well actually it's not a bad Thing and you try to fix it's because you have Egalitarianism
1: yeah. In your veins did I ever send you that the essay I wrote on egalitarianism is a Trinitarian heresy
0: no I've been Wanting you to though yeah okay. But we I'll have to, to do one to send it over, yeah. We, we've talked about a, it but we have to do One on egalitarianism we just have To because that's on that's communism what, that was
1: my Study and my study in Karl Marx that Was the that's what the my The essay is on Karl
0: Marx So Okay, I'll
1: send. I'll send it over.
0: I love that, man. I love that. This is really good. I, I would. I almost want to do another one on prayer, but I think we probably should do it, um, because I think what most people are trying to work through is like, how do I, how do I pray? How do I do the thing? And, and I think there's a, I think I like the acts stuff to talk about: adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And maybe one day we can go through each one of those and what that looks like with a proper metaphysic, because I. Honestly, Jason, I question almost everything now because I realize our assumptions are rooted somewhere else. And so it's, it's, I'm starting to say, okay, Lord, how do I shift? I want to shift the lens in which I'm viewing things through new eyes is how, you know, I'm having new eyes and I'm like, okay. Yeah. So,
1: um, and joy is joy, gratefulness, love. Those are motivations that refill themselves as you use them whereas guilt shame and fear are not and so often we try to motivate our prayer with guilt shame and fear and then we just run out of motivation rather than being motivated by joy gratefulness and love which are self-renewing motivations the more we use them so and that's what the cosmology does
0: Joy, gratefulness, and love. Our self-renewing what?
1: The self-renewing motivations.
0: That's good, man. That's really good.